The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 613 for March 11th, 2018. Net neutrality will go to court, different ways to watch baseball this year, and Android P gets released to developers. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, first in the news, the state of Washington Monday approved its own set of laws regulating net neutrality after the FCC voted last year to kill the laws at the federal level. The laws ban internet providers from throttling and blocking content, but the mandate also says that the public, uh, that they make public their network management policies. Companies that violate the rules would be at the mercy of the state's Consumer Protection Bureau. And the state says, we know that when D.C. fails to act, Washington state has to do so. The FCC has prohibited states from contradicting its decision, but that hasn't stopped it from happening. But perhaps it won't be long before we know the fate of the latest rule changes. The U.S. Ninth Circuit Court, based in San Francisco, will hear legal challenges to the FCC's repeal of the regulations. The Ninth Circuit was chosen at random by a U.S. judicial panel on multi-district litigation. Three-quarters of the Ninth's 24 active judges were appointed by Democratic presidents, and the remaining six appointed by Republican President George W. Bush. So far, 22 state attorney generals have filed grievances, as have public interest groups, internet-based companies, and others. As we mentioned in the previous story, multiple states have also challenged the commission, including California, Illinois, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania, along with Washington. So we've got uh, a ways to go here before we know the inevitable fate of net neutrality. Right. You know, obviously, probably everybody who listens to this show, you know, has a, a an opinion on this uh, net neutrality thing. And, and obviously, based on the, the number of attorney generals and the companies and, uh, you know, in, in the public that seems to have the interest in this, uh, this isn't going away anytime soon. This is going to be quite a, a battle here. And I, I would imagine it'll probably roll into even the next uh, administration, even after Ajit Pai is no longer uh, part of the FCC is probably what will happen because there's going to be so many uh, challenges to this. So it's going to be kind of an interesting, uh, you know, the way this unfolds. And I I, I don't know what it's actually going to, how it's going to turn out here because obviously states are getting in the, the fray here like Washington and it's uh, it's going to become very messy. Well, what happens with Pi if he doesn't, isn't able to uphold uh, this decision, right? Does he stick around? Does he get replaced? You know, once he gets replaced, then what happens? And someone else is going to try and come in and stick their flag in whatever the next policy decision that uh, gets made is and gets made. And it just this this whole thing, like you kind of watched it unfold and you thought, there's no way like this is this is not people are just going to bend over and say, oh, yeah, we fought for these regulations for years. Uh, This is, you know, what we want as consumers. And yes, companies uh, in certain, you know, respects don't want to have this in play because uh, of the uh, restrictions or at least limitations that it puts on them. But at the same time, this is this is the Internet. This is not a, a, a you know regulated utility uh, like uh, like the others. It's got to be treated differently. And it's it's just so interesting that it's taken, I'll just say, six months uh, after we started talking about the changes before this is finally you know coming around to the, OK, maybe that we should talk about this in different ways other than just letting it happen and kind of transpire the way that it has. Well, I think everybody probably thought they weren't going to go through with it because of the amount of public uh, outcry and all the, the you know, the, the submitted comments and everything. But they chose to ignore it all. 
Yeah, and just said, well, this is what we're going to do, and thank you very much for your comments, and yeah, just deaf ears at that point. But uh, anyway, a lot to uh, still unpack with this one, and and we'll stay on top of it, of course, uh, talking about it as it goes. The U.S. government ordered Qualcomm to cancel a vote scheduled for Tuesday to allow the government more time to review the potential merger between Qualcomm and Broadcom. Specifically, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., the CFIUS, will examine the possible merger. Broadcom is based in Singapore for the time being, though it plans to move back to the U.S. later this year. There are often limits imposed on foreign companies making major purchases in the U.S., particularly when the company involved provides infrastructure and communications equipment to the U.S. government itself. Broadcom has suggested the CFIUS investigation was triggered by Qualcomm as a strategic ploy. The move delays Broadcom's proxy fight against Qualcomm by 30 days. The two firms have met in recent weeks concerning the deal, but are too far apart on the price for the acquisition. Also related to the potential Qualcomm takeover, Broadcom this week committed to creating a $1.5 billion fund that it will use to invest in technology and engineers. Broadcom claims part of the business model is to acquire companies and focus resources to strengthen the company's core franchise. In the case of Qualcomm, Broadcom says it will help the firm focus on 5G. Broadcom, they say, has a proven track record of managing R&D for maximum impact and investing in core franchises. Broadcom will not only maintain the R&D resources Qualcomm devotes to 5G and innovation in future wireless standards, but we will also focus R&D spend on those critical technologies that are essential to the U.S., uh, Broadcom said that it will use the $1.5 billion to help train engineers and fund 5G research and development. It claims its effort to re- efforts to repatriate from Singapore to the U.S. will be completed by May, and it will have some 25,000 U.S. employees. Broadcom also clarified that it won't sell anything considered a critical national security asset to foreign buyers if its proposed purchase of Qualcomm is approved by the U.S. regulation. So basically, you've had Qualcomm and Broadcom stories now every week for, you know, almost six weeks, I think, or even more. And the reason we keep talking about this is, you know, between these two companies, they probably represent 98% of the chips that are in your phone other than audio chips. And, and of course, if you've got an Android device, the whole thing is Qualcomm based, like the whole entire, the entire thing, all the wireless chipsets in there. And it's just, you know, one, one system on a chip. Uh, package that they sell. And of course, with, you know, Android devices all over the globe, Qualcomm has basically got, you know, half of it. And then Broadcom has the other half. And of course, chipsets in your laptops and, uh, you know, every computer, Windows computer, Macs, they use a lot of, uh, you know, Qualcomm and Broadcom for any of the wireless and Bluetooth uh, devices. There's a few others out there, but not that many. So this is a really big deal behind the scenes. You know, they're kind of the, the Intel uh, of the of the of the um uh, the, the the mobile world. Well, speaking of Intel, the rumblings this week of a potential Intel takeover of Broadcom after the takeover of Qualcomm—that's crazy. That is very crazy. I can't imagine how that'll work because Intel, as you know, longtime listeners would know that we've got uh, uh, a lot of push for Intel chipsets, and some of the new iPhones are using an Intel chipset for some of the non-Verizon uh, CDMA versions. I believe, I think, is what which ones they were. Uh, so that's kind of an interesting thing because Intel tried to do a system on a chip back. What was that, uh, Mickey? Six, seven years ago, where they had their uh, their slab phone, but it didn't go anywhere because it was not using ARM instructions, if I remember correctly. So that one kind of fizzled. But looks like they were still investing in the wireless technology behind the scenes, and now they're making another attempt at it. Well, the attempt is, uh, I think, the critical point in that story, and I think we'll have a, a a lot of scrutiny on this. I mean, look at what's happening here with 
I don't want to minimize the the takeover potential of what Broadcom would do uh, with taking over Qualcomm, but uh, certainly that would be just in, insane to try and make it through the regulation regulatory hurdles that would be you know certainly come up from uh, from something that big. So we'll uh, you know we'll just kind of keep that one at bay here, and we'll talk about it as it comes. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, in the current environment for uh, you know uh, the, the regulatory environment is pretty soft right now. So now is the chance to do it. Well, I guess that's true. It's a pro business uh, you know set of uh, regulations that would allow this stuff to go through, and uh, that's where they are today. Well, popular movie subscription service MoviePass was in the news this week after it admitted that it tracks users' location before and after they attend movies. Now, of course, this is not necessarily something new for applications to do, but MoviePass CEO Mitch Lowe called attention to the matter when speaking at an industry event, saying that they get an enormous amount of information. We watch how you drive home from uh, to the movies uh, and where we watch where you go afterwards as well. The company insists tracking customer location is meant only to help improve the service, saying we are exploring utilizing location-based marketing as a way to help enhance the overall experience by creating more opportunities for our subscribers to enjoy all the various elements of a good movie night, and we will not be selling the data that we gather. Rather, we will use it to better inform how the market potential uh, customer benefits, including discounts on transportation, coupons for nearby restaurants, and other similar opportunities. Uh, MoviePass users uh, must consent to the location tracking in order to use the app and service. For the $10 per month, MoviePass customers can attend one movie per day at some 4,000 movie theaters across the country. So you got to remember, you don't get something for nothing. And that's what you're trading for uh, these discounted movie passes. And of course, there is some leverage. You know, they are spending a lot of money uh, to do this. And, that you know, they're you know probably blowing a bunch of venture capitalist money to to do this service as well. But again, they're, they are utilizing this data that you're providing them to try to better track and market. And of course, they're uh, trying to leverage this against the movie theater companies to give them discounted bulk rates for movie ticket prices right now they're paying full retail and they're trying to you know basically uh strong arm them uh into giving them discounts by cutting off certain theaters and, and, and they're playing games so uh just remember to check your privacy settings and if you do not trust it or 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 like what they're tracking uh then you unfortunately can't uh, save money on these uh tickets well it's it's you get what you pay for right and to your point it's there's no free lunch, so to speak. And it wasn't long before the customer backlash uh, did force them to make some changes. Uh, the iOS version of the MoviePass app uh, was updated, pulling unused app location features. According to the company, MoviePass uh, released a new update, including the removal of some unused location capabilities. Uh, say, so they said in a statement. And while our part of the part of our vision includes using location-based marketing to enhance the movie-going experience for our members, we aren't using some of that functionality today. And our members will always have the option to choose the location-based services that are right for them today and in the future. MoviePass hasn't said if if or when it will make similar changes to its Android app. But kind of point of this whole thing is this is something that is being done uh, in in more you know scenarios than you probably care to think about. And uh, when you go on your phone and check out when the uh, the app is using your location, it can either be only when it's open or it can be all the time. And it might say, of course, that it's being used to do different things like, you know, Waze will ask you if you want to park to, you know, track where your car is parked and or track, you know, events, uh, you know, when you need to leave for events. And then, you, of course, it has to know your location, where you are and where you're going and all that. So it's tied into your calendar and a lot of potential privacy, uh, you know, conflicts there if you're uh, not being careful about it. 
Yeah, and just make sure you audit your privacy settings. You know, on the iPhone, it's fairly easy. It's all organized and kind of in a privacy section and Android kind of the same way. Make sure that the uh, the apps are kind of what you're expecting them to be tracking uh, and what you feel comfortable with giving that information. So just kind of make sure you every once in a while go through to there to make sure that that uh, it, it is kind of what you're expecting. Another good way to, to you know start out looking at what apps are doing what is go into your battery, especially if you've got an iPhone, and you can see if uh, you know certain apps are using a big chunk of your battery and, and uh, whether or not that makes any sort of sense to you. You know, I was troubleshooting um, a family member device this weekend and I saw that Gas Buddy, the app Gas Buddy, was using a bunch of, uh, of battery processing. And I asked, you know, when the last time it was used and the answer was, oh, it's been forever. And I thought, oh boy, this is, something's going on with this app. So uninstall that guy right away. Um, you know, and, and certainly there are, you know, there could have potentially been legitimate things happening there where it was just sourcing information, you know, on a, you know, in the background although background apps were turned off so there's something else going on there so there was again probably location stuff for what who knows what it was but either way uh you, again good idea to you know audit those apps and, and what the, lo- the the privacy settings uh you know and 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 how the different apps are using your different you know whether it's again your microphone your camera contacts calendar whatever it is uh just make sure you're you're keeping an eye on that kind of stuff and uh you know changing and or modifying where needed Uh, Well, next up, we have a Chinese phone maker, Xiaomi, said it's eyeing a launch to the U.S. market within 12 months. They said, we've always been considering entering the U.S. market, uh, but we plan to do so by early 2019. The company already has a handful of products uh, on offerings in the U.S., such as a 360-degree camera, uh, a My TV Android set-top box, and headphones. Xiaomi's uh, CEO did say that the company will seek to strike distribution deals with U.S. carriers or sell directly to consumers via channels such as Amazon and Best Buy. Xiaomi is China's fourth largest phone maker and one of the first to make an all-screen device, the Mi Mix, that happened back in 2016. In device news, Huawei this week began selling its Mate 10 SE via Amazon and other online retailers. The phone carries over most of the specs from the Honor 7X, including an aluminum unibody chassis with 2.5D curved glass and a 5.9-inch 2x1 aspect ratio display. It's powered by Huawei's Kirin 659 processor with dual cameras, a fingerprint reader, a 3340 mAh battery, and Cat6 LTE. It runs Android 7 Nougat with Huawei's EMUI 5.1 user interface on board. One significant change under is uh, under-the-hood concerns for memory and storage. The Honor 7X had 3 gigs of RAM and 32 gigs of storage. The Mate 10 SE has 4 gigs of RAM and 64 gigs of storage. The improvement in RAM should give the Mate 10 SE a performance uh, in uh, edge in performance, that is, over the Honor 7X. On the outside, the Mate 10 SE loses the Honor branding in favor of Huawei's, and the dual camera array is encircled in a single frame rather than two. Amazon is selling the Mate 10 SE in gray and gold for $230, or about $30 more than the Honor 7X. It is unlocked and compatible with both AT&T and T-Mobile and their prepaid brands. Microsoft has added the Samsung Galaxy S9 and S9 Plus to its online stores. The devices come pre-configured with Microsoft applications and services with a customization that is applied when the device is turned on and connected to Wi-Fi. When users first boot the device, they'll be prompted to download Microsoft apps such as Office, Outlook, OneDrive, Cortana, and the new Microsoft Launcher for Android. Other than the software, though, the specs and features for the S9 and S9 Plus are the same as the other versions of the phone. When purchased from Microsoft, the S9 and S9 Plus are unlocked 
The S9, $720. The S9 Plus, $840. In software news, Google this week detailed several new features coming to the Google Search application on iOS devices. First up, Google Search gains a new extension for iMessage, letting you perform Google searches from within iMessage, then easily sharing the results. New icons for food or nearby or others uh, simplify the process for finding things to do or share. The tool applies to search results as well as GIFs and is available to the from the iMessage applications drawer. Secondly, Google has made it possible to discover related content when searching from any browser on iOS, including Safari. Google added a search Google option to the Safari share menu that to make this work with just a few taps. Finally, Google Search on, I, on iPad for iOS 11 now supports drag and drop, so iPad owners can move text, images, and links to and from the Google app. The new Google Search for iOS application is available for free in the iTunes App Store. Well, owners of the Google Pixel handset have a new way to share motion photos. A recent update to the Google Photos application adds the ability for motion photos to be exported as still images, videos, and GIFs. The GIFs are easy to share via social media apps and are automatically looped once exported. The tool is available in the overflow menu of Google Photos. The GIF files are larger than the original motion photo and are saved at high resolution. The feature is already built into the Google Photos app on Pixel devices. Facebook announcing new deals this week that give users access to more content. First, the company entered into a licensing agreement with Warner Music Group. The deal means Facebook users will be able to uh, embed music by Warner artists and videos and other posts shared on the social network. Facebook and Warner said they will collaborate on new products that enable users to personalize their music experiences across Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, and Oculus. Facebook already has similar agreements in place with Universal and Sony. Secondly, Facebook has a new partnership with Major League Baseball to bring daytime games to the social network. Under the terms of the deal, Facebook will stream 25 games during the regular season to the Facebook Watch service. Further, the MLB Live Facebook page will include access to pre-recorded games globally. Facebook will begin airing live MLB games in April. Sticking with the baseball theme, YouTube TV subscribers now have access to the MLB Network. Baseball fans will be able to watch all the content available on the MLB Network, which includes new programs and games. YouTube TV subscribers can upgrade the experience to MLB.tv's product, which provides nearly unlimited access to games for an unspecified fee. Uh, The standalone fee for that service is about $120 a year. And MLB as a YouTube TV app has expanded the advertising partnership that will see YouTube TV's branding prominently displayed during segments of baseball games. YouTube TV costs $40 a month and is available to 85% of Americans with access to 50 live local sports and other channels. So Mickey, I know you're a big MLB TV fan, a big MLB fan. Uh, Have you uh, signed up for the MLB TV this year or are you going to wait for the T-Mobile promotion that may or may not come? Uh, Well, it has indeed come. Um, I got an email this week uh, that it will be available in the T-Mobile Tuesdays app thing uh that is available uh on march 27th i believe is the date uh if i recall correctly so i've got a reminder on my calendar to go and re-download that app on the 26th uh the last time i used it was for my last time that i had the mlb tv service which was last year but yes i will be waiting for it and absolutely it's a great partnership with t-mobile one that um uh, I've been taking advantage of since I've been a T-Mobile customer and definitely appreciate it. Um, you know, the one kind of downside is, is that you don't get the spring training games because it doesn't become available until opening day. However, it's a small trade-off for the 116 or $120, whatever it is, uh, for the amount of time that I actually watch the games, which is to say quite a bit. Uh, but at the 
the same time, I um, I don't. It doesn't really matter if I get to watch spring training or not. So uh, either way, it was a um, a fun. It's a it's a really nice thing to add on. And uh, obviously, for you know those that are baseball fans, you're getting excited for the season. Um, and uh, the hours and hours of content uh, that can be streamed of it is is quite impressive and really nice, especially for somebody like myself who follows a team and is not in that team's market. Right. That's the big, that's the big thing. It's best if you're, it's a, it's not a team in your home market because they do that same thing where they block out games, uh, right. When it's yes. a, a local game, it's not, it's kind of like the, the home team thing. It's still that goofy stuff that hopefully will go away someday for game. I'm not really into sports, but I do appreciate like this MLB, how many games you can actually watch on it. Oh my God. It's like billions of hours of games in a season that you can watch. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, 162 games for every team. Uh, so, you know, and every team has got to play another team. So, and there's what, 30 teams, 32 teams, I guess there are. So, um, figured that, you know, do some actually 30 teams maybe. So 15 games. No, there's more than that because no, that's right. 15. So then you take, um, you know, that number multiply it out and three hours a game, four hours a game. Yes. Lots of hours. There's uh there's a lot of baseball that can be watched with it. But anyway, uh, moving on. Google Wednesday made a the first preview of Android P available to developers. The revised version of Android adds a number of user-facing features as well as tools for app writers. So for example, Android P tackles notifications for messaging. Users will be able to see image previews and notifications, as well as better see who sent the message and select auto responses. A new API for developers gives them more power over devices with a dual rear or front-facing camera and Android P adopts support for HDR VP9 Profile 2 and HEIF multimedia formats. Android P brings with it support for display cutouts similar to the notch on the iPhone X. This will let developers build apps that natively fit around notches or cutouts in the device display without losing information or features. Android P makes significant improvements to indoor tracking. It adopts the Wi-Fi round trip or RTT protocol, which helps narrow down users' location when inside by using Wi-Fi-based triangulation. This will let apps and features such as indoor voice-guided navigation occur. Android P adopts a new version of the Neural Networks API for more AI-based operations, makes multiple improvements to the autofill framework, introduces a unified fingerprint authentication dialog, and a high-assurance user confirmation for better security, making it easier for developers to add accessibility features to their apps and ensures that Android P devices will be better able to decode various image types. In the Play Store, developers will find that they can no longer use private APIs beginning November 2018, All apps submitted to the Play Store will need to target Android 8 Oreo or higher. Android P Developer Preview 1 is available to be downloaded from the Google Developer Portal. Developers will need to manually flash the operating system to their phone from their computer. An over-the-air public beta is not available yet and won't be until later this spring. Android P is compatible with the Google Pixel, Pixel XL, Pixel 2, Pixel 2 XL handsets, and Google expects to release the full version of Android P in the fall. Yeah, so what's frustrating is now they're all already telling you all these great features you're going to get. But, you know, go back to a few stories here in that Huawei that's just coming out right now is still being sold with Nougat. And so then basically it kind of feels like you're already running a two-year-old operating system. And that it is still very frustrating for, for Android users here. Well, I think you're right. And, you know, this is a uh, kind of the perpetual thing that comes up, right? Because you're trying to, you know, stay up with what's happening with this stuff. And, and you've got so many devices that they're, you know, trying to support that it can only last for so long. And, and even Google themselves can't figure it out for much longer than a, a specified period of time, which leads to 
our final topic here, which is, you know, with all these new devices that will get the new OS, the aging line of the Nexus smartphone is being left out, effectively leading to the end of Nexus, if you can believe it or not. Uh, Google has confirmed that the 6P and 5X will not be updated to Android P. They received two years worth of system updates, which was the limit under the original terms of sale, though both phones will continue to receive security updates through November 2018. Google has changed the terms uh, with its Pixel devices, which will receive system and security updates for three years. Google will launch the public beta program, of course, we mentioned in the spring. You know, of course, uh, that's two years. That's kind of pathetic comparing it to iPhone, which is what, five years is what they've been kind of running right now uh, on OS updates like the iPhone 5 and, uh, you know, the, the, the 5S now, or the, they're going to be getting the next update probably. Uh, so that's quite, uh, quite a difference there. So that's one thing to keep in mind as far as longevity and current uh, OS support for a device. Yeah, and if you've got a device that is still working well on an operating system, that the other part of it is, you know, maybe that's the the operating system to stick with. And you know, iOS 11 has uh, been, you know, it, it's it's been, I'll say, hit or miss depending on the device that you have. In many cases, miss when it comes to older devices. Um, but that is, uh, you know, not really new news. It, it's one of those things that has been happening since we've been upgrading our devices past, you know, that couple year mark. And it doesn't matter if it's Apple or Android. The difference here that we're talking about with with what's happening is that they're flat out saying, you know, a, a Nexus 6P or 5X, which you probably bought in 2015 uh, and maybe even 2016, uh, is not going to receive an update in 2018. And that is just crazy that they're going off of the time when this thing was first sold. And you probably could still buy these phones, but you're going to be limited with Oreo. You're not going any higher than that with it. Right. And, and of course, with the iPhone, of course, you don't have you don't have to update. Uh, that's the thing. You've got the choice to update for five years, but you don't even have the ability to with these devices. And that's pretty that's pretty sad. Yeah, well, it, it's, you know, again, it, this is the end of the Nexus line, and I'm sure they were just trying to figure out how do we transition. And really, it's not to say that, I mean, in on one hand, I think I think back to that original Nexus and just what, uh, you know, what that represented and how great that was uh, as a device. Um, and also, you know, the, that kind of pull on my heartstrings it had. I mean, I went through, I remember buying at one point, I had like four Nexuses or something. And it was just kind of this, like, I really wanted to love Android and I wanted to use it and I wanted it to be, you know, the, the operating system uh, for me. And that, that was the device that was going to do it. And it, it never did. And then I'd get rid of it and then I'd want it again and this back and forth. And ultimately it was a, you know, but, but it was something that represented kind of the most pure form of this operating system that I, and I, I just knew that it had such great potential. And it's not like that potential in a, you know, a pure operating system is not there. That's what the Pixel devices are for now. So it's not like it's going away. But this, you know, this Nexus branding, it's, you know, obviously nostalgic in many ways. And it's now gone. Yeah. And that was my, for, uh, that was my first Android phone as well as the Nexus S. Yeah. And it's a, you know, one of those, uh, you know, one of those kind of, things that that you just you don't realize and uh, until it's gone you know you think oh yeah nexus will be around forever they've got this very specific thing and well no it doesn't need to be they can they can move on and so so they have but uh we will uh we will see as we go through you know with these pixel devices and obviously the last year's pixels the 2017 ones uh or 2016 i guess it is and now the 2017s um are all really you know in a, a well position to uh to carry them through 
to the next phases of what uh, Google is expecting to do here with Android P. And as you mentioned, Joey, lots of new great things. And uh, we've got if you've got one of the latest pieces of hardware, you're going to be able to use it just fine moving forward. Well, no questions or comments this week, but if you have anything for us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us questions to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show joey thank you very much as always for your time we'll talk to you later thanks for listening for more information about the stories you've just heard visit us at the cell phone junkie.com